Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is the For the Love of Film podcast. Uh, this week, I'm going to talk about the film Alita Battle Angel. I finally got around to seeing Scott Pilgrim versus the world, and then I decided I'm going to try and go through and watch all of the films of the late actor River Phoenix. So I'll do the first part of that, where uh, I actually saw two of them in the last week or so. I saw Little Nikita and... A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon. Uh, but before I get to all that, I just wanted to talk about uh, some thoughts that I had in my head specifically about movies. Because um, the last few episodes that I've done, and really, you know, the last few weeks uh, in general, I've pretty much only been giving mediocre to poor reviews, like having negative feelings on the movies I've been watching and you know it may it was making me think a lot because I was like I think of myself as a fan of films and I don't want to be someone that's always naysaying stuff I mean I'm going to give my honest opinion on any movie but I was really kind of bummed out about how the last few weeks almost everything I've watched has been in my opinion, not great or terrible. And I was like, am I just becoming jaded? Am I just not enjoying films? Am I, are my expectations too high? Cause you know, the reaction to some of the movies that I've seen recently that I said were terrible. Other people were like, ah, come on. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And you know, movies are obviously opinions on movies are subjective, but I was like, am I not, you know, am I, am I just not enjoying films? And then while I was kind of having that thought, I realized some of the, some of the best movies I've ever seen, some of the movies that I would call phenomenal films I've seen in the past three or four years. So it's not, I'm not just nostalgic for movies of my childhood. Um, you know, The Shape of Water comes to mind, Interstellar. Mad Max, Fury Road, uh, Tully. A um, lot of really great movies have come out. Stuff that has inspired me, captivated me, uh, you know, just got me excited. Uh, Blade Runner 2049, another one of them. Uh, these are all movies that I loved. So uh, that was sort of reassuring when I was like, okay, it's not, I, I'm not just being a sourpuss about movies. Uh, or at least that's my take on it. Obviously, I'm a little close to the subject, so I don't know how objective I can actually be. But that's how I feel about that. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of saying this all, um, you know, mild spoiler, but uh, there weren't any movies this week that I saw that were great either. But, uh, yeah, I'll get into them. So I only saw one movie in the theater this week, and um, it's actually, I'm recording this maybe a week and a half after the last episode because I wanted to wait till I had seen something in the theaters. And that was Alita Battle Angel. Uh, so it's directed by Robert Rodriguez with a screenplay uh, by James Cameron and Leda Caligordis. I'm sure I'm butchering that name, so I apologize. But it's based on manga, the manga Gun M. Uh, and let me try this person's name, Yukito Kashiro. Actually, I'm pretty sure that's how it's said. So it's based on Japanese manga, 
um, which is uh, not to be confused with anime. Uh, manga is the print version. You know, it's, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, it's comic books, although uh, that, the, that form in Japan is looked at differently than comic books are in the United States. It's uh, I mean, the same thing with animation in Japan, where it's not a niche format, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a huge industry and it is considered a legitimate part of the, the entertainment where manga is also considered a legitimate form of literature over there. Um, so this was a movie, it's, it's been pushed back several times. Originally it was supposed to come out in the fall of 2018. And, you know, so I've seen preview, several previews for it. Um, when it, the initial previews I saw it didn't look that great and then the second one I was like ah it might be good and then by the third one I was back to thinking it wasn't going to be that great and I will say I went in with very low expectations and the movie was actually better than I expected it to be uh, having said that I still didn't think it was a very good movie it was just uh, um, better than I expected it to be uh, you know I I was going in expecting it to be around a four out of a 10 and I would, uh, or even a three, but I would give it a five out of 10. Um, you know, the first 20, 25 minutes, I really was on board. I really, I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty good. I was enjoying it as we kind of got to know the world. Um, it's in the, you know, the, the, the opening shot, you know, it starts with the 20th Century Fox lo- logo and then changes to 26th Century Fox because it takes place and I believe the year was 2563. So I, that was fun. Uh, and then, you know, we see a huge junkyard and uh, junk being dumped from the sky and Christoph Waltz in the junkyard and he finds the head of this android, and that's not a spoiler, it's the first two, three minutes of the movie. Uh, so, I was intrigued. Um, oh, and I will say, I had not I had not read any of the manga. Uh, I was, you know, a little bit familiar with the story, but uh, yeah, I didn't go, I, I was going in pretty much as a blank slate, so I just wanted to just wanted to experience it as a, a new film. So, um, you know, Christoph Waltz is a doctor, uh, you know, he, he basically works on cyborgs and he, he, uh, in the future, there's lots of people with cybernetic parts or some are wholly cybernetic except for their human, human brain and heart, like Alita. Um, that's the cyborg that he founds and he names her Alita and, um, their relationship you know, the establishing of their relationship is interesting, and then it's a mild spoiler, very mild for the film, but we find out fairly early on that Christoph Waltz's character is also moonlighting as a hunter-killer, which is basically a bounty hunter, which they're mostly they're mostly cyborgs who do that, but uh, uh, because guns have been outlawed on the Earth at this point, um, anyone who commits murder gets hunted down and killed. So, uh, that was initially my, my first issue with the movie was 
totally believe Christoph Waltz totally believable as a doctor, not believable at all as this badass hunter killer with this giant bladed weapon uh, where he's fighting these uh, huge cyborgs with tentacle metal tentacles and bladed weapons and whatnot. Not to take anything away from him, uh, he's a great actor, but I, just not believable at all. Just the physicality of it. I mean, I'm not sure how old he is, but my guess is he's late 50s, early 60s. Um, uh, so it started to unravel from there. Uh, you know, it, it is a heavily CG movie, which it didn't bother me as much as I thought it would, but uh, my biggest issue really is with the look of Alita herself. So it's a completely computer-generated performance. You know, it was done through motion capture uh, by the actress Rosa Salazar, who gives a great performance. Um, The biggest distracting thing is Alita has these enormous anime eyes, uh, which, you know, she doesn't blend in with the humans because she looks that way. And obviously it was done as an intentional choice and there are some other other cyborgs later in the story that have it as well, but it's just super distracting. Um, and because a lot of the other characters who are cyborgs are part human, part machine, they did motion capture as well, but they would actually use their real human features and then just paint out their bodies and you know, digitally put put in these uh, machines. So I don't know why they didn't do that with Rosa Salazar because her face, uh, the Alita character is is modeled after her face. It's just got exaggerated features, and I, it would have been a lot easier, I think, watching it with her. But uh, having said that, um, you know, my other big problem with the movie in general is it's set up. Uh, to be the first installment of a of a franchise, and you know if it makes enough money, I'm sure it, it will be. But it's not a complete story on its own. It's I mean you know that's that's the rule of the day now. Uh, studios want these franchises, but a lot of the great franchises, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, James Bond, Star Wars. Uh, they they were all they started with one film that was a complete story and was built off of that uh, not parts of, I mean and people would argue Star Wars is part of a story but Star Wars the original film that came out in 1977 if that was the only one that was ever made it could stand alone as its own story all the extra information that you need is in the opening crawl and it's a standalone film and this clearly is being set up for more and there's just there's so many characters in this and so much happens with them uh, but you really don't get a sense of most of the characters uh, there's just too much going on too too much information and not enough substance with any of it in my opinion uh, there's also you know there's huge parts of it that are very similar to the the film's rollerball uh, and it was just it, 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 there's a lot of big exciting action scenes but it just felt like big scenes strung together without a real story um, I'm really interested to know more about Alita's character um, 
and you know where she came from because you know she has a uh, amnesia she doesn't remember uh, where she comes from and she gets little glimpses of it here and there little things jog her memory but uh, a lot of the other stuff I just don't care about it was you know the thought I had watching it several times uh, because in addition to Christoph Waltz Jennifer Connelly is in it and Mahershala Ali and all three of them are Academy Award winning actors and they had to have I, I would think that they must have felt like they were slumming it a little bit um, maybe not but uh, it just felt like it, all of them were not given a whole lot of substance to do um, you know I've talked to a couple friends about this film and Robert Rodriguez is a director I really like him but I really wish I liked his movies more he's very enthusiastic you know he did uh, From Dust Till Dawn he did Desperado El Mariachi uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico he did the Spy Kid movies uh, he's he's you know he does a lot of these movies at his own studio in Austin, Texas. Uh, you know, the only movie that of his that he that I would really genuinely say I love is Sin City, and that's because it's it's so faithful to Frank Miller's original graphic novel, and it looks just like it. Um, and this is, you know, the third or fourth time Robert Rodriguez has directed a film that's based on, you know. A graphic novel or animation because he also uh, I was going to say he did the Speed Racer movie but I'm wrong he did not do that the Wachowski brothers did that um, or I'm sorry the Wachowskis uh, so and you know it's James Cameron uh, you know Aliens Terminator Avatar Titanic uh, he, he's worked on all those films he wrote the story for this but um, again uh, James Cameron hasn't written, in my opinion, has not written a great film since 1991 when he did Terminator 2. He's worked on a lot of stuff. He, a lot of stuff he's done has made money, but as far as writing something interesting, it's been almost 30 years. So, you know, the fact that he was involved did not necessarily pick my interest. And, um, you know, if they make another one, I don't know if I'll bother going to see it. Um, yeah, I would give Alita Battle Angel a 5 out of 10 um, some of my friends saw it the same day as me they took their their uh, young daughters to see it and their daughters loved it um, and they were very entertained so you know take that for what it's worth it was entertaining uh, but I just I, I, I wish for something more I like really smart sci-fi and this was not that um, the next movie I saw i it was one of those movies that people had been saying forever. Oh, I can't believe you haven't seen that. I can't believe you haven't seen it. it which is Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh, it's, you know, based, this is also based on uh, a comic series, uh, uh, a Canadian comic series. And, you know, Edgar Wright's one of those guys who a lot of people just say everything he does is amazing. And I, I enjoy a lot of his stuff, but I don't think everything he does is amazing. And, this is this is a very has a very singular vision. It looks like uh, the main character Scott Pilgrim, played by Michael Sarah, is going through a video game, and whenever he has uh, interactions and and fights, both real and imagined, it looks like a video game. Um, there's overdriving 
rock music in the entire film. Uh, he plays a 22-year-old. And at the very beginning of the film, we find out he's dating a high school student. I don't believe her age is stated, although I believe it's implied that she's 17, which, you know, that's problematic on its own. On its own, Although uh, they're not... They... they I think they kiss once, but that that's it. But it's still problematic. It is addressed in the film, too, how he's dating a high school student. But, um, you know, there's a lot of fantastical fight scenes. And I don't know if this is supposed to be the reality that they're actually in or if it's supposed to be all in Scott Pilgrim's head or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I didn't love this film nearly as much as most of the people I know who like it. Like it, I, it, I guess my biggest problem with that this is uh, the character of Sp- Scott Pilgrim is not a very likable guy. He does a lot of questionable slash despicable things, and you know, uh, there's not a whole lot of redemption in it. He, uh, he, he, um, he's pining after. Well, he's he's dating one girl at the beginning of the film, uh, but then uh, he's after this character Ramona Flowers, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and you know he has to fight her seven exes, um, and I don't know. It's just I I think it's probably a generational thing. Uh, being a Gen Xer, uh, it, to me, it seems like a very much a film about millennials. And I know it's a stereotype. I know that's a generalization. But all of these characters just make a huge deal about everything that's happened in their relationships. And there's a lot of mumbling in it. And I don't know. Even the fact that the band that he's in, they're called Sex Babam, And they have a female drummer. And they're very... You know, their their music is very kind of post-rock folk. It's just all so precious. And to me, I was just, I was, I was not impressed. Again, I'm probably too old for it, and it's not made for me. But having said that, I, I, I think there's something to be said for films that do have a larger universal appeal and... Uh, I don't think this did. And I also know that this was not a box office success. So, uh, apparently whatever audience they were aiming for either didn't see it or is not big enough to sustain this film, uh, and make it a hit. So, yeah, um, I'm glad I saw it just so I can say, yes, I've seen that. And then when people say, don't you think it's amazing? I could say, no, in fact, I don't. So I would give Scott Pilgrim versus the world a five out of 10 as well. Now, uh, these next two films, slash last two films, uh, uh, River Phoenix died in 1993, and he was an actor who, and he was a few years older than me when he died. He was only 23 when he died. So, so I guess he's five years older than me, or was five years older than me. But um, someone who showed great potential, has a lot of, fantastic performances. Uh, he only did 14, possibly 15 films. I, I should have counted them up to have an exact number beforehand. And I've seen almost all of them, but 
uh, I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna watch them all this year, and so I'll be checking in sporadically, talking about them. The, the ones that I know are really great performances. I'm kind of holding off on, and I will come back to them. Um, there's a few that I own already, and um, I, it, this actually all started because I was at a pawn shop. And the movie Little Nikita was there. And I had remembered seeing it when I was a kid. And thinking it was pretty good. Because I was, I was a fan of River Phoenix back then. So I, I picked it up. You know, it was, a, it was a buck at a pawn shop. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll check this out. And uh, after watching it, uh, I decided oh, I could go through and watch all of River Phoenix's movies. Um, so Little Nikita, it, it, it came out in 1988. Uh, it stars River Phoenix and Sidney Poitier and an early performance, um, uh, early performance by uh, Richard Jenkins, who one of my favorite character actors. Um, this is basically the premise of it is is Sidney Poitier is an FBI agent and River Phoenix is a high school student and. His parents are Russian sleeper agents, and someone is in the United States killing other Russian sleeper agents, and they discover that River Phoenix's parents are the last, eventually the last two living, and so uh, they're not trying to stop the sleeper agents for doing anything. They're trying to trying to find out who's killing them and put an end to it. It's the way that. Any of this is uncovered is all happenstance uh, and just blind luck, and it's it's foolish. Uh, just just watching it now, it was painful watching you know Sidney Poitier and Richard Jenkins give these you know very stilted, ridiculous performances because they're both very capable actors and. The script is just so, so bad. So unbelievable. But it's not so bad that it's campy. Like, it's not intentionally bad. It's just bad. Um, yeah, it was painful to get through. It was... Uh, you know, I had remembered it being fun. There's... Most of the action scenes are very, very silly. And... But again, not intentionally silly. Not intentionally goofy. Just... Poor choreography. Um, clearly, it was a film of the '80s because anytime there's stunts, there's uh, you know the the drivers or the people being hit, their faces are obscured. They're clearly stunt people, not the actors. Biggest thing that drove me nuts, and again, being a film nerd, this may not be something that most people watching a movie are going to notice, but I pick up on stuff like this all the time. Is there's a there's a scene towards the end where uh, they're they're chasing a train down and you know a truck is driving alongside a pickup truck is driving alongside it trying to chase this train down and they keep doing these different exterior shots and from sh- the the train has you know a, a, a number on the side of it indicating which which train it is and depending on the angle of the shot, the number keeps changing. It was, you know, it was 1003, 1008, 1007, uh, you know, just, it's a continuity thing, but it would have been easier to cover them up, but, you know, I don't think they 
they had the budget to to pay the train company to cover up their their numbers. So it it's wildly inconsistent. But yeah, it was just a, a talented cast wasted on a real just just garbage script. Uh, I, I I really can't recommend Little Nikita to anyone. Um, I would give it a three out of ten. Uh, it, it, it was trash. Uh, the the next the last film that I saw this week was also a River Phoenix film. Um, I it originally when it was theatrically released, it's called A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon and. Uh, the way I watched it was the director's cut, uh, which is available exclusively on Amazon. It, it, if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. I would not recommend that either, but uh, it, the film was retitled for the director's cut. It, it was retitled, Jimmy Reardon, Aren't You Even Gonna Kiss Me Goodnight? Or, I'm sorry, Aren't You Even Gonna Kiss Me Goodbye? Um, this was a movie that, um, when it came out, I was... Pretty excited to see it. It was um, not so much because of River Phoenix, but uh, it. two of the co-stars, Ione Skye and Meredith Salinger, were um, teen actresses who I had a huge crush on both of them when I was growing up. And I knew that this was a, uh, you know, it was an R-rated film. It's it, it deals a lot with sexuality, and although there's no actual sex scenes in the film. There's not even any nudity in the film. Uh, uh, you know, a young teenage Scott Chase was very excited about this. And I, I, you know, I, I think I rented it from Blockbuster at some point. It was interesting too, because it takes place in the fifties, the 1950s and, uh, in a, in Chicago and, uh, Jimmy Reardon played by River Phoenix is a poor, you know, a, lower middle class from a lower middle class family and all of his friends are affluent upper or you know lower upper class or or upper class uh people and uh you know he's going around he i i think in the space of three or four days that the movie takes place he he has sex with four or five different women and he's kind of a lothario and he's he's trying to raise money so he can go to Hawaii with his girlfriend, uh, who's, uh, you know, ironically enough, um, one of the few women in the film that he doesn't actually have sex with. It was, it, it was interesting. Cause I remember at the time the poster and, you know, the ad campaign did not play up the fifties element. And in fact, the, the original movie poster, they're dressed very much in 1990s clothing instead of 1950s because I'm sure that they were trying to capitalize on the teen market. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, this also came out in 1988. Um, another actor, uh, Matthew Perry is in it who, you know, played Chandler Bing on Friends, this predated, uh, Friends, but, uh, yeah, this, this movie's a mess. And the director's... It, it, I had read about the director's cut, and it says a very different film from the original cut. And so I decided to watch it. And aside from the fact that the director himself provides very poorly ADR'd narration over it, um, I be, it's been a while since I've seen the original, so 
I believe it was River Phoenix who did the original voiceover, uh, but perhaps there was no voiceover in the original. Um, but this, it's it's jarring to hear this. Clearly, the man uh, narrating it is not a professional voice actor, and the few deleted scenes that are in it uh, are of such poor quali- poor film quality compared to the original scenes that, you know, there's a big contrast in picture when they pop in. And there's, there's a couple ridiculous scenes that are thrown in at the end that tonally are very different from the rest of the film. And some events transpire that it's clear that either they never shot the scenes that, from the original script or the scenes were lost. So instead of, you know, leaving them out, the narrator just quickly explains all this off-camera actions that happened to explain the scene we're about to see. And it's, I mean, the movie, I, I remember even when I watched it in the, you know, the early 90s, being not impressed with it. But this director's cut is even worse. Uh, I, I'd have to say, uh, even for... River Phoenix fans or, you know, Meredith Salinger or Ioni Sky fans, uh, just give this movie a pass. It is really for completists only. I would give uh, this version of the film a 2 out of 10, you know. Um, I would say I'd have to watch the original cut, A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon, to rate it, but I have no desire after seeing this to go back and watch that again. So, uh, yeah, uh, just, just avoid this film. Uh, hopefully the, I'll be pleasantly surprised by the rest of the uh, River Phoenix catalog. But, uh, yeah, those are the movies that I saw in the last week and a half. Thank you as always for listening. And I'll talk to you soon.